I meet a lot of people, and I am terrible at remembering names and faces. I cannot tell you how many times someone has come over to say hello, and I have no idea who they are. Awkward! But having awkward moments doesn't have to be a bad thing, especially at work. In fact, today's guest says that we can use good awkward moments to make us more human and therefore more beloved as managers. Today's guest is Henna Pryor. She's a highly sought after workplace performance expert and an award-winning two-time TEDx and global keynote speaker, author, and coach. Her clients call her their secret weapon for impossible change, an honor she wears proudly. She is known for her science-backed approach to improving performance, habits, and actions of hungry high achievers in her fun, no-nonsense, no-jargon way to move them from their first level of success to their next one. Her highly acclaimed book, Good Awkward, launched on September 26th and was the recipient of a prestigious Kirkus Star for Excellence in Writing. Hannah and I talk about all things awkward, what it is, why it's important to embrace your awkwardness as a manager, what to do in an awkward moment if you're the one that's embarrassed or if it's because of someone else, and how to get comfortable with awkwardness. Plus, so much more. Now here's the conversation. Are you a manager, boss, or team leader who aspires to level up and unleash your team's full potential? You're listening to the Modern Manager Podcast, and I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Each week, I explore effective strategies and provide actionable insights that supercharge your management abilities, optimize team performance, and foster a healthy workplace culture. Become a rockstar manager and help your team thrive at themodernmanager.com slash more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hedda. I'm so excited to talk about the concept of awkwardness because I am constantly feeling awkward in so many ways. And I'm like, just hide it under this big smile and lots of happy energy and maybe nobody will notice. So I'm so excited to unpack this concept that I think we all feel so often and yet don't really know what to do with. So thanks for coming. Of course, I'm so happy to be here. And I, I'm laughing because I think I use the same coping mechanism, right? Just smile, just just be silly and goofy, and nobody will realize that inside you're slightly dying <laughs> in any given moment. So can't wait to get into all this. All right. So let's just start with the big picture of what is awkwardness or what is awkward in in general, and then we'll dive into what it looks like in the office. That's a great place to start. So if you open a dictionary, you're going to get three, four different definitions of awkwardness, all of which are correct. But in the framing of this discussion, when we're talking about people, the way we're going to define this is first thing, it's a social emotion. So if you are singing song lyrics at home and you sing them completely wrong and nobody is there to hear you, generally you don't feel awkward. So it's a social emotion. It exists around other people. It is an emotion of discomfort. It doesn't generally feel good to feel awkward. But the definition we're going to operate from today is awkwardness is the emotion that you feel when the person that you believe yourself to be or your true self is momentarily at odds with the person who is on display. So, for example, I believe myself to be someone who is very you know, intelligent at work and I have great ideas. I raise my hand. I put forth an idea in a meeting. And everyone looks at me like I have 10 heads, right? Like, okay, Hannah, what you, why did you even say that? The person I believe myself to be, smart, capable, competent, for a moment or maybe moments, hours, depending on how I felt about it, between that person, there's a gap between myself and then the person who they saw on display. My internal identity doesn't match their external reality. 
And that's when we experience awkwardness. That makes a lot of sense and explains very clearly like why I avoided doing a video show for so long. So like, oh, I imagine myself to be this like fabulous podcaster. And then you put me in front of a camera and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not who I am. I don't understand what's happening here. I love this idea about who we are, who we think we are versus who we're presenting or who others perceive us to be. Yeah. Can you maybe tell us a couple of stories or examples of other moments in the workplace where awkwardness kind of shows up? So like sharing ideas in a meeting, for sure, I've had that moment. What are some of the other places where awkwardness comes out in the workplace? Sure. Oh, gosh, there are so many. And I'm sure if we were to poll the audience right now, they would be like, oh, I'll give you five right off the top of my head. But, you know, examples could be, first of all, of course, the the common verbiage is the awkward silence. Someone says something, it doesn't land the way that we expect it to. And all of a sudden, no one's talking and everyone's eyes are sort of flitting like, what now? Right. Coming back from the pandemic, we had a lot of awkward social interactions as it related to even now, you know, what do we do with our body? Are we fist bumping? Are we hugging? Is this appropriate? Are we keeping distance? Right. So that can be very awkward. There's just errors that happen constantly when someone's name is mispronounced either once or repeatedly by someone. And everyone's kind of looking around going, is is anyone going to say something? Uh, sometimes I've seen at work, people will try to compliment someone, but it comes across pretty strange and pretty creepy. Yeah. And, you know, that can create an awkward interaction missing a deadline that can be embarrassing and awkward because we expect ourselves to be one way and we you know kind of have a swoosh it goes over the head we miss something so there's more than i can count numerous ways that this emotion of awkwardness or sort of adjacent to that embarrassment cringe moments can show up at work but we all know them when we have them because it creates a very visceral reaction in our bodies and sometimes in the bodies of the people that are in the room with us why don't you tell us now, what what is this good awkward? Because all the things you described are all things that don't feel good and typically are not moments that we would seek out as being helpful moments in our yes. in our career paths. So what is this idea of good awkward? How How can we go from this kind of avoid bad awkward into this good awkward space? Yes. So the through line behind a lot of the research that I did and then just understanding talking to different leaders, high performers around this is we have a bit of a, a dangerous territory that we're entering as a society. And the new term I've been using a lot is we're becoming weak in our social fitness. You know, the pandemic certainly contributed to that. And, you know, good, this awkwardness talk isn't just for introverts. It's for extroverts, too. All of us got thrown into isolation. All of us. And our social muscles atrophied a bit. That's why when we all came back into convening again, not only did we not know how far apart we should stand, but there was actually research that came out that we forgot how to read facial cues and gestures because we were out of practice. And increasingly, we live in this world that keeps optimizing for smoothness. So for example, we don't even call a restaurant to order food anymore. We order online. My middle schooler and, and really even adults now, when we get to somebody's house, we don't ring the doorbell. We text and we say, I'm here, right here in the driveway. We don't have as many opportunities to practice our social interaction, to keep our social muscles strengthened. And so awkwardness, again, it's a social emotion. It's something that exists in social situations. And awkwardness lives in uncertainty. Here's what I've learned for sure. We don't get to eliminate uncertainty. If somebody's cracked the code on that, please send it over. I have not figured that out. So as a result, we don't get to eliminate awkwardness. 
what we've essentially done is gotten away from learning how to handle those moments because we have less of them. Unplanned moments of awkwardness, they're going to happen. We're going to trip over the sidewalk. We're going to accidentally call someone the wrong name. We're going to accidentally CC somebody in an email. I'm not saying that those moments feel good. I'm not saying that we can chase unplanned moments because those are unplanned by virtue of their nature. But what we can do is strengthen our social muscles so that when those moments do occur, whether they're unplanned or the ones that we raise our hand for, our social and mental muscles are strong enough to handle them. And right now, they're weakening by the day. So we have to chase that good awkward. We have to start to lean into it instead of run away from it. There was a model in your book that I really loved talking about fragility and resilience. Could you maybe talk about about that model or those kind of three different paths and, and how we can respond to awkwardness in different ways depending on the strength of those muscles you're just describing? Yes. Uh, so I, I want to give credit where it's due. So this is work done by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. And it was a perfect metaphor for the way we can experience and relate to awkwardness on a spectrum. So someone who is fragile in the context of awkwardness will experience an awkward situation and it'll totally knock them over, right? They'll be like, oh my God, I raised my hand in the meeting. I said this thing. People didn't like it. I'm never going to do that again, right? It essentially blows out the flame of their candle. We're like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Then we've got resilient people for whom they will have an awkward interaction. Again, they're human. It doesn't feel good. The candle you know, starts to blow out a little. They're like, uh, uh, but they bounce back relatively quickly. They're like, okay, I'll be fine. I didn't like that, but I'll, I'll do it again maybe when it feels right. Then we've got anti-fragile people, which is the opposite of that. So if we were to use the, the flame analogy, when you have a, a big bushfire, for example, the wind actually not only doesn't put the, the fire out, it energizes it. It actually makes the fire burn even brighter, even stronger. So an anti-fragile person will take an awkward moment. They'll recover from it very, very quickly. And in fact, they'll take it a step further and they'll seek out as many of those moments as possible because they realize it's going to supercharge their growth even faster. It's going to help them be even stronger, even more resilient, even more hardy for the next time such a situation comes. So they actually take it in the other direction entirely and seek it out so they can become anti-fragile. It's hard to imagine that good things come from awkward moments. But what I'm hearing you say is, one, there actually are really good things that can come internally in terms of our own ability to grow and learn and expand. But there are there also good things that come from those awkward moments in our group setting? Like, even if we recover quickly in a meeting and we're just like, okay, so people don't like that big that idea. That's all right. I'll try a new one. Is everyone else still looking at us going like, oh, why is she throwing out another idea? Does she not just get that that last idea was not good? Like how does, how can our, what, what happens in the group dynamic or how others perceive us when we have those awkward moments? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, ironically, no, people, well, first of all, people are not looking at us as closely as we think they are, right? That's Tom Gilovich at a Cornell. He calls it the spotlight effect. We think everyone is still, staring at us going, wow, that dumb idea. I can't believe that they said that. As soon as that moment passed, they likely moved on and were thinking about what they were about to say next in the meeting, right? They're not paying that close attention to us. There's also a concept in psychology called the illusion of transparency, which is we think people can see how red our face is or how we feel completely clenched on the inside. And sometimes they can, but more often than not, they can't, right? They've already sort of moved on to thinking about themselves. So no, people are not putting that type of spotlight on us. And to answer your question about the team dynamic, 
there is a bunch of research that's come out about when we actually express awkward discomfort, when we actually can say in front of a team, wow, that was awkward or ooh, that, that made me cringe. I can't believe I said that, right? When we can actually express these things, it actually makes us as managers, leaders come across as more generous, more trustworthy, more kind and more forgivable. And it creates all these positive byproducts because our lack of perfection puts people at ease. It puts people at ease. It, it starts to foster that sense of psychological safety that we say that we all want in cultures, but most of us are afraid to exhibit. And so just uh, letting those things out, putting that internal narrative and making it external about the way we feel in those awkward moments has a host of benefits to teams and, and allowing them to embrace that same emotion for themselves. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if you've worked with any clients who kind of had to get past that hurdle or kind of how yeah. it's impacted them when they've kind of let their guard down a little. Yeah, uh, many. And I'll give you two examples. One, um, a story I share is about a CEO of a big telecom company. You know, one of my clients actually was the VP that worked for him. And she had told me how this man never smiled, <laughs> never laughed. She's like, I'm pretty sure he wears a suit to bed, right? This is this kind of guy. And during the early days of the pandemic, everyone was obviously forced to work from home. He didn't have a home office. He lived in an apartment in a big city and so had to work at his kitchen island. And all of a sudden was doing all hands meetings with his kid tugging on the sleeve and the dog barking. And you could see that he was visibly flustered, right? And kind of pulling at his collar. And she said, everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. And all of a sudden they loved him in a way that they felt like they couldn't before because for the first time, they saw this human being. They saw this human being with all of his messy, imperfect moments on display rather than this extremely polished, like hyper, you know, unreachable level of professionalism. His ratings went up and he actually learned a couple of big lessons after that experience. He started to loosen up in his meetings. He stopped wearing a tie and suit jacket all the time. So there was all this positive byproduct. The leaders that I see... I will say still to this day that struggle with it a bit more probably are, you know, A, it's a product of conditioning. You know, did they grow up in their leadership in an era where expectations for a certain level of presentation were a little more stringent than they are today? But more so, there's some cultural aspects, too. I think there are still certain cultures, um, especially this is true of women and women of color, where sometimes confidence and competence at work disproportionately becomes synonymous with flawlessness. And it shouldn't be, but we're still working through some of those, you know, decade, generation old norms that, you know, for a long time, women and women of color were not in leadership positions. And it was a system built by heterosexual cisgendered white men. And so we're still working through, you know, confidence and competence can coexist with moments of awkwardness and not, you know, be held to the standard of flawlessness. But that's where I tend to see it become just an opportunity to find their way of embracing the methodology. I can see that, especially for, for women or women of color and also young people, right? When the assumption is that you're not going to be good enough because you're young, right? And this is a bias. And so if you make any kinds of mistakes, if you're awkward or weird, unless you're like a tech founder and you're 22 and brilliant, maybe you get away with it. But for other young folks or even for older folks too, right? If you want to be cool and hip and not feel you don't want people to look at you and be like, oh, you're, you know, why are you still leading this company, right? There's so many different dynamics that come into play on that leeway of how much awkwardness and, and humanness is uh -huh. the right, the right amount to still be accepted, but not so much that people look at you and go, Arr. or maybe they're not even looking at you that way. And we're just assuming yeah. that they are. 
Well, they're probably not. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I think often people confuse awkwardness with ineptitude. And so I try to make that distinction very clear. I, you know, even if you're a, a newer worker to the workforce, I don't want you to go in inept, right? I don't want you to go in unprepared. Awkwardness is not about lack of preparedness. I think the more you can prove to someone that you work hard, that you're competent, that you're putting in the effort, the more you are able to lean into natural awkward moments and own them because you are generally seen as someone who has capabilities, skills, competence, intelligence. So it's not about purposely dropping balls. It's about being prepared for the inevitability that these things will happen and making sure that you, you know, index on the things that you can control. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense and connects really clearly to this idea that these are not these are moments that are just about being human, right? They're they're not necessarily moments that are tied directly to your job. There are things like going out to lunch with a colleague and having food in your teeth, right? It's just it's a human moment. And I remember I used to be like so embarrassed when that would happen. And now I'm just like, oh, thanks for telling me. Like, no big deal. Right. Like these are just things that are about being human. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love the food example because it's, you know, we feel awkward when we have food in our teeth, but I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that will say, you know, sometimes I'll see food in someone else's teeth and I, I don't know if I should point it out. And I'm like, this is this is a perfect example of how our social muscles have atrophied because it is an act of kindness. It is an act of generosity to say, you've got food in your teeth, you've got toilet paper in your pants, right? That is just a kind human thing to do. But because we've gotten so away from these less than smooth social interactions, even that has become challenging for people. And so I shine a light on that and say, hey, if that's hard for you, it's going to be really hard for you to advocate for a salary increase. It's going to be really hard for you to speak up on behalf of a marginalized team member. It's going to be really hard for you to take credit in that meeting. You got to be able to tell somebody they have food in their teeth for that stuff to be possible. So let's actually shift to what do you do in those awkward moments? Both if you are the one who's like, oh, I'm noticing like I made a mistake or I said something weird or like, how do you handle it for yourself? And then let's talk about it when it's on the flip side, when you're noticing for someone else, how do you create or respond to help in that moment, in that awkward moment? Sure. There's a couple of strategies. So when you are the one who has experienced the blunder, the misstep, the awkward, embarrassing moment, a couple of things you can do. First thing, kind of maybe the work before the work is I try to give people some tools around how do you create awareness over what does this awkwardness represent? What are the stories that we tell ourselves? And so a lot of it has to do with our conditioning growing up, you know, our stories that we share around approval. And so if we are the type of person who is prone to telling a contamination story about a previous awkward moment. A contamination story is a term coined by Dan McAdams out of Northwestern. Essentially, it means, okay, I had an awkward moment in the past at work and it felt awful. And now I'm telling myself a story consciously or subconsciously that that was not a good situation and I shouldn't repeat it, right? It's contaminated the future. I avoid doing such a thing in the future versus a redemptive story, which means, okay, that awkward situation happened. It didn't feel good, certainly in the moment, but I learned something from it right? So that that awareness is good. The other awareness, a little test that I have people do is of their levels of vicarious embarrassment, which is how prone are they to getting embarrassed, not just for other people, but with other people. So an example of this is cringe comedy, right? So if you think of America's Funniest Home Videos or Borat or Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, some people just watch these shows and they laugh and laugh and then they go off to the rest of their day. Other people watch these shows and they literally cannot deal, right? They go underneath the covers and they're like, oh, 
feel like I'm just, I'm feeling this with the person. So interestingly, that vicarious embarrassment is a term that is a function of a certain type of empathy, meaning people who are higher level on a certain type of empathy are more prone to this type of shared embarrassment and therefore more likely to take on some of those awkward feelings more acutely themselves because they think, well, if I feel like this for them, other people must be feeling like that for me, which is not always the case. So step one is just to do this sort of pre-work. Step two is what do we do in those moments? There's a number of tactics. Simply, you can name it, name the awkwardness. The avoidance of awkwardness increases awkwardness. We've all been in that moment where the more somebody avoids it, we're like, this is just getting worse, <laughs> right? Like someone just say, man, this is awkward. Wow, cringe. You know, just someone say it and then we all relax. There's humor techniques that we can call on, you know, a number of which, you know, we, we share, but there are some some rules, kind of like you mentioned, if you're newer to the workforce, you want to be a little more careful about where and when you use humor, but you can use techniques of humor. And then I actually recommend to people to proactively do improv exercises that help you learn how to be more agile in those moments of uncertainty. But all of these things, as you start to do them more and more, become like reps for that social fitness muscle so that when those moments come, you're prepared to handle them. And frankly, the tools work in the reverse. When it's somebody else, you can name it and help them diffuse the tension. You can employ a bit of humor on their behalf and model it for them. But the the techniques are similar on either side. I'm wondering if you have any good stories that you can tell, either from yourself or from your clients who kind of successfully used any of these techniques or kind of navigated those tricky moments. Yeah, uh, lots and lots. And I feel like I do this regularly every day. But I'll just share a, a recent favorite one that did not make it into the, the book was my friend, Melissa Jordan. She is uh, high up in the marketing space. And she was interviewing for a very big job, one that she perceived to be too big for her. So she had submitted for a job. I think it was like a director of marketing. At the time, they ended up filling it elsewhere. They came back to her and said, well, we have a VP of marketing. She's like, this is bigger than I've ever worked. I've never worked at this level, right? I don't feel qualified for this. I'm looking at the job description. I don't even know why they want to talk to me. I don't have half of these qualifications. But she said, okay, they are asking me to interview for it. So I will. And she had just seen, I put a LinkedIn post about something about, you know, leaning into your awkward because I firmly believe that in this moment in time, it's about standing out and being memorable and being different. So she said, honestly, I already feel a lot of self-doubt. I already feel like I'm not qualified. So I'm just going to shoot my shot here a little bit and say, what the heck? Let's, let's go awkward and see what happens. She brought in one of her most awkward, most cringy childhood photos. She's like, I literally, I look at this thing. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. She brought it into the interview. She did her best with her. You know, these are the skills I bring. And then she took out the photo and she said, and I'm showing you this because if I can get through this moment and by showing you this, there's nothing I'm not willing to try. There's nothing I'm not willing to do. There's no misstep, no blunder that we that this team won't get through. They loved it. She got the job, right? She got the job. So this was, you know, it was it was it was a planned moment, right? So you had the unplanned awkward moments and a planned one. But it was an example of taking this thing that for her has been this source of embarrassment. You know, she just was like, this is the worst photo of me that exists ever. And really just putting it out there going, if I can do this, there's nothing that I'm going to sweep under the rug. There's nothing that I'm going to shy away from. And they just loved that willingness, right? So I feel like the more we can bring that full part of ourselves strategically, the more benefits it has. But there's so many stories like that where people zagged instead of zigged. And it just had all the benefits in the world, all the upside in the world. Oh, my gosh. I love that story. And I'm so excited for her to have that job because she sounds like she's 
fabulous. You know, it's funny because the the photo thing just reminded me. Um, I had a very awkward high school life. I was goth. I had very short, colorful hair. Was just a very odd young person. And I showed a photo of myself to it was me and my family, and I showed it to my um, my husband. And he looked at me, he goes, you don't look so bad. And I was like, you're looking at my sister. I'm this one over here. And he goes, <laughs> he looks at me, he goes, don't ever show that photo to me again. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so, in- <laughs> right? That like awkwardness. And so I totally get that feeling. Like I will never show that photo to any human ever oh again. But I, but I hope you do. And this is, I'm laughing because, so I'm actually having a, a book launch party with friends this Saturday. And on a whim, I said, can everyone text me a photo of themselves that they deem super awkward, right? It's just for fun. Just something to look at at the party. Oh my God, Mamie, I have been crying, laughing at what people are sending through. And for them, I can feel the joy through their texts about, I can't believe I'm sending this to you, right? A lot of them are like, no one has ever seen this photo, but I'm already just in this like gleeful anticipation of the shared laughter that we are all going to have on Saturday because we all have one. There's not one person who doesn't have one, 10, 20 of those, we all have them. And I think this is part of the work is awkwardness feels like it's this emotion that is solely ours. No one else can possibly feel this as acutely as I do. Not only are you wrong, the research proves it. You're not everyone, the most confident people you know experience this as acutely as you do. And that's comforting in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. especially because as as we move up the chain of an organization, right? And we are in a position of more authority or we are in a position of more responsibility. We think everybody's looking at us for our perfection, for our answers, for our, like, we are now this important leader. And and the reality is like, no, you're still just a human, right? And it, sometimes it's almost worse when you're the one in the meeting, you're leading the meeting and you're showing up and you're saying the thing and you're, wait, is everybody looking at me now, right? Like it's, in some ways, the more you feel like the spotlight is on you, the harder those awkward moments become. And the reality is like, we all still have them. We are all just human. As yeah. I think you, what you pointed to is really important is first, we experience awkwardness more acutely at every inflection point, right? Every transition point. You started a new job. You started at a new school. You started you know, in a new position, new leadership role. You got promoted. Every inflection point of our career is an increase in that emotion because we are social creatures. Awkwardness is a social emotion. And suddenly we're surrounded by a new group of people, a new set of expectations. This is why, you know, the first day of school is awkward for children every year, because unless they go to a really teeny tiny private school, it is a new group of peers in their class. That social need ticks up again. Our awkwardness tends to die down in the workforce once we've been maybe in the same department, in the same company for a few years straight then we don't tend to feel it as much because our social belonging is sort of solidified in some way. But every inflection point, if growth is our goal, we're going to feel it again. There's no getting around that. And I think the beautiful thing for leaders to understand is that there's a new generation of workers that, you know, I think in previous generations, we looked to our leaders to be these perfect models of what what was possible. Now, the new generation, they value different things than previous generations did, one of which for the millennial Gen Z set is development is really important to them. And one of the ways they like to be developed is to look to their leaders as humans, as caring, imperfect humans. And that is different than it was several generations ago. So it's not that anyone's been doing it wrong, even established leaders. It's that values and what matters to people has shifted and bringing our whole humanity has a lot more 
premium than it used to. And I love that. It makes me feel so much better about the workplace <laughs> in general. And yeah. also just like what, you know, what we expect of humans and in, in reality. Sadly, we are running out of time here. So can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fabulous boss? So this is, this is going to be like an indirect, but uh, I had a, a COO at my previous staffing firm. I was there for 14 years. Her name was Kai Mitchell. And I have to I have to choose her as the example, even though I never reported directly to her. She was sort of the big boss you know, direct uh, above the direct. She was someone who very early on, you know, I, I got married at that job. I had two children at that job. I was trying to navigate working motherhood and trying to stay a top producer at the company. And I was I was in it. I was feeling all kinds of ways about how can I keep up? How can I do this? I don't know how to do this. And she was really one of the first models I had. Uh, her children both had heart conditions. So she was someone who was very ambitious, who was also juggling all of this. She was the first permission slip I got to say to me, you don't have to do it on anyone's terms but your own, right? If there are days that are messy, let them be messy. If there's a way that you need to do this that is totally different from everyone else in your office, totally different from anyone else in, in the company, this is your permission slip to try it your way. So I was one of the first ones in my region to, you know, now everyone works from home. But at the time, I put together a PowerPoint presentation, reasons Hannah should work from home, right? Like I was kind of like, quick on the uptick to just going rogue on things as often as possible to see what worked. And it was Kai Mitchell, my COO at Q-Force, that really was one of the first female leaders that gave me permission to do that and not follow the boxes that had been built before me. And to her, I owed a debt of gratitude because I think a lot of this willingness to embrace my awkward, my unique differences, my do it my way, you know, I'll snort while I laugh in a meeting, like, and I don't even try to hold it in anymore. You know, I think so much of this is because she made me feel like it was okay. And so for that, I'm always going to be grateful. Oh, she sounds fabulous. She Love is. That. Yeah. Amazing. And where can people learn more about you, Hannah, and keep up with your work and get a copy of your book? Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm Hannah Pryor everywhere. So Hannah Pryor on Instagram, Hannah Pryor on LinkedIn. I'll say LinkedIn is my preferred playground. And the book is everywhere books are sold. You know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Bookshop, if you like to go indie. And goodawkward.com has all the details about the book. And there are some pre-order bonuses as well. But I'm really proud of it. I promise you, not only will you learn a lot, but it's a fun read. I really prioritized writing it in my voice. And I'm just grateful that people are saying, okay, not only did I learn something, I'm laughing out loud. And this is a lot of fun. And that to me, if we're going to talk about awkwardness, let's take the work seriously, but not ourselves. And so that's my hope for everyone else, too. Yeah. And I will add to that. I just finished reading it and I loved it. I loved the stories. I loved the ideas. I definitely saw myself in so much of it. And the practical strategies are very abundant. So highly, highly recommend everyone find a copy. So thank you again for being a guest. Thank you. Hannah is offering two bonuses to members of the Modern Manager Podcast Plus. First, she is giving away three copies of her book, Good Awkward. How to Embrace the Embarrassing and Celebrate the Cringe to Become the Bravest You. To be eligible, you must submit your entry by November 3rd. Second, you can get a bulk discount on Good Awkward when you order 25 or more copies. So get one for everyone on your team, in your company, or all your friends. And in the members-only extended interview, I ask Hannah about what to do around awkward people and how to reduce the awkwardness of meeting new people at an event. To get these guest bonuses, the rest of my conversation with Hannah, and many more member benefits, become a member of Podcast Plus at themodernmanager.com slash more. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter.
Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Music.